Hello and welcome to episode 12 of Shading the Culture. My name is Sophia. And I'm Joe. And this is Navarlene. Today we are super excited because y'all we've made it to 12 episodes and today is part four. Part four of our discussion on the diaspora. But before that, you know what it is. Let's get to the black excellence and let's do some shaking my head. Okay, so for today's Black Excellence, or the person I would like to highlight for Black History Month Mm -hmm. is, and uh, please excuse me for any mispronunciations, like some of these names are difficult. Anyways, um, the guy I will be highlighting today is Francois Toussaint Louverture. (laughs) He was a former Haitian slave who led the only successful slave result revolt in modern history he fought to end slavery and gain haiti's independence from european powers france and spain he formed an army of former slaves and deserters from french and spanish armies and trained them in guerrilla warfare though he did not live to see to see it francois toussaint actions set in motion a series of global events that changed the geography of the western hemisphere and lost the beginning of the end for european colonial domination in the americas his actions also inspired revolutions in several latin american countries over the next hundred years and american abolitionists both black and white to fight for an end to slavery so he's the guy i wanted to highlight today Mm. Um, I read a little bit more about him. Um, he's well known to a lot of Haitian people, but um, something I knew I found out about him was that when the hev- um, revolution began or like slavery revolts began in Hispaniola in 1791, he actually was not a part of it. He was a freed slave at the time. Mm-hmm. He was 50 years old. He had a wife and two children, and he owned some land that he had um, gotten from his slave master. And so my point in bringing that up is that at that point, he was somewhat comfortable, and he removed himself out of that comfort in order to fight for a greater cause and it you know it came at the price of his life and he had a lot of sacrifices that that were made in order to do that like many other civil rights um leaders and uh human human uh what is the word activists um i just wanted to highlight him specifically for that because i think it requires a lot of courage to to do that mm. yeah so he's the person I'm highlighting very nice so yes yeah, <sighs> way to go. um for the smh segment i wanted to discuss miss wendy williams um so Ooh, week, she's faced <laughs> some backlash yes she say, she has faced some backlash because of some anti-gay comments uh transphobic comments um where she said that she she said something about men not wearing dresses or to stop wearing dresses and heels mm. 
Have you guys heard about that? Yeah. Well, she said specifically gay men. Gay men. She wasn't yeah. saying all men. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, gay men. Yeah. But I feel like her comments were kind of were like transphobic. Because she said things about, well, you guys are not going to be able to, you can't, there's certain things that you guys can't have um, as gay men or, like, I think there's a mix of transphobia in there, in her comments. I was really surprised because I was, yeah, because, like, (laughs) a lot of her, I guess, fans or her fan base. It's a lot mm-hmm. of LGBTQ plus people. So I'm kind of surprised that she would like come for them in that way when mm-hmm. I feel like they're a part of the reason why she even has the platform that she has. And also, I would think that she would have some sympathy, empathy, whatever, you know, some understanding, level of understanding. Because a lot of people say she's a transgender man. You know, <laughs> she'd be a oh, transgender sorry. woman. Transgender woman. Oh, sorry. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My apologies. Yeah. Um. So a lot of people say that about her. So I would think that if anything, she would be one to you know fight for the cause rather than like talking about derogatory ways about the cause. You know what I mean? I w- I was just right. kind of surprised. I I mean, I'm on the complete opposite side of the spectrum with this one. It was not surprising to me at all because um, Wendy Williams makes her money off of being offensive. Girl, you're right. So like it wasn't like it wasn't shocking at all that she said what she said. Um, and I will say, like, so I went and I watched the video mm-hmm. of it, and um, she said what she said, and then I think I saw some other article or something that said that she kind of doubled down on it, saying, I, I mean what I say, and I say what I mean, and then I watched apology. her apology yeah, video, and I died laughing, because, like, I just, this whole, like, um, like, so to me, like it's not what they say that's mm. offensive as much as when they apologize and you know correct that I'm even more correct because yeah, they forced her they forced what it her is. to make that yeah because I'm like because girl she was doing them crocodile tears as you know African mom says and I was like girl okay like but my thing um too like I like it like I'm not like, I'm not surprised, like, because I think a lot of people mix up things with um, just because a big portion of their fan base is like this com- um, community, people think that that means like, oh, that they're going to be like in the cause with, well, I guess, you know, like with, with these people. But I'm like, just because that's your fan base doesn't necessarily mean that you are like down yeah. with them, right? Because when it comes down to it, it's a money game. Yeah. Right. So you're my fan base and I want the money that you give me. But that doesn't mean that at the end of the day that I support your lifestyle choices or I support this. Like you know what I mean? So like I like I think like celebrities yeah. can be just as much phobic as any regular schmegular person. I it's don't just know. that it hits them I where just it hurts. Like hoping I guess it was more of a hope than like a, a knowledge. Like I was hoping she would be an ally to the cause. You know what I mean? And her mm. apology was mm-hmm. bad because 
her apology was more about she started the apology by saying she's very uh persnickety about her show and like how she does the show and so she goes home and she watches it and she makes sure that you know the show is good and blah blah blah. and I'm like mm-hmm. how about you start with uh I'm sorry I effed up you know <laughs> yeah and the thing is that it's yeah. but like one thing I want to point out too though is like she said she had to watch the show twice but- before she understood somebody had to tell her it would be like why it would be offensive which I'm like but the way she talked about it like when you actually watch the video you know that she actually does subscribe to these views which is why she like, I don't understand why you apologize like she why they're well, yeah. oh, yeah. gonna force her to apologize at the end of the day because that is the demographic of people that follow her at the end of it and even though like people who are in the lgbtq community they follow rappers who are very like are well known to be homophobic it's not the first time where we'll listen to someone's art and music even though they're like their views are just terrible you know Mm. but if we all looked at like every single person that we supported I'm pretty sure like there's a reason to like not support any of those like anyone that ever existed girl you probably pretty much which like I'm not saying like per se that like oh you know um don't like like we should like it's not like what I'm saying is that like I think that if we look deeper into all of these like celebrities that people admire and like love, there's always going to be some questionable aspect to who they are as people, Mm -hmm. because when it comes down to it, they're still just as regular schmegular as the rest of us. And we've all interacted with someone in like our regular lives that is like offensive, like, like towards, like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, and so I just, I'm surprised that she apologized because like I said, to me, her whole base is it's 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 kind of almost like hypocritical in a sense right because like when she's coming for other people's edges like we're like you know you're all laughing we're all laughing and then when she hits your community then it's like this do you know what I mean because like I'm like her whole entire like existence is like I watched I've watched clips of her and she comes for people's edges that is exactly like what she does and so like I'm like the whole outcry, like, oh, um, um, Wendy, like, stop, like, leave, leave the gay community alone. And I'm just like, she should leave everyone alone. Well, yeah. she wouldn't have a job if she did yeah. that. So she can't well, do like, that. yeah, maybe, like, yeah, I mean, perhaps that's what she needs to do is go get, like, a different job somewhere else. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Like, she gonna do that. She making just, that, money, that, money, that type of money. So, yeah. That's how she gave that, like, fake little apology. Like, the tears at the end. I was like, girl, did they put eye drops in right before you came on there? Like, because it, it looked so forced. It was a mess. That so whole apology was a whole mess. Like, watching yes. it, it was cringeworthy from the beginning to I've end. I've seen like, her cry before. Ugh. I've seen her cry before. That's not... Mm-mm. <clears throat> no. Yeah, I mean, because she um, didn't mean it. She mm-mm. didn't care, you know? She so. doesn't. She really, truly doesn't. So... Ugh. How unfortunate, because I was really hoping that, truly, that she didn't mean it, but I guess it is what it is, you know? Yeah. Anyways, moving along. Um, we are so excited because this is part four 
the final part of our diaspora series mm-hmm. and you will notice we don't have a guest today because we're going to be focusing on our own experiences and talking about um you know what it was like for us to transition from being immigrants uh living in a community where we felt you know it was like our people to now living in the United States and um, trying to assimilate into this culture. So we're going to be discussing all that good stuff um, from and really delving into our experiences. And then we're going to be talking about some traditions. So we're excited to share our experiences with you. So let's get started, ladies. Um, so first, I want to ask y'all, what is your earliest memory of feeling like, yes, I'm finally assimilated as a United States citizen. Oh. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I like that question. <laughs> I, I don't like the word assimilation. No, no, no. No, no, no. I mean, like, assimilation has a negative connotation, but all it is well, is that but, you're comfortable but, in your space. Like you're- Well, but Sophia, I feel like it's that question would be different for me and you because, like, Navraline was born here, so she wasn't really, like, assimilating into right but she was in a space where like she was in like the Haitian community like when did you feel like okay like you can navigate around you know well I mean I guess well for one American culture for one like my first language was not even English and so right uh, that's what I'm saying so I mean I can't say that I have like a memory of it because I feel like up until college, I was literally just existing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, I didn't okay. even, you know, I, I don't feel like, I don't feel like I understood that, you know, like the importance of my culture and the differences of American culture, black culture, mm. racism, all of that stuff until I got into college and I watched that. Oh, what's the name of that? Chris Rock movie good hair or something like that and my white English teacher she was a woman was like well why do black people perm their hair is it like unconscious racism and it had me really thinking like whoa you know that was really the first time I could say that I was aware Mm. (laughs) you know of like my actions and why I was doing things and what was I doing it for and all that stuff. That was, I would say that was like the first time for me. In college? Okay. Yeah. My first year, my first semester of college. Um, For me personally speaking, I don't think I've ever fully like assimilated. Mm. And um, I think like the people in my life would definitely like argue against that or whatnot, because I feel like in a way, um, <clears throat> Like, there's always things that pop up that make me realize, like, you're not from here. Mm. Right. And so I feel like, or even because, like, I mean, I think, like, part of it, too, has a lot to do with, like, how I speak. Mm -hmm. Because I think that no matter where I go, like, you know, when I lived out in Utah, whether I live in Miami, or I live in Jacksonville, or I live, like, or I visit, like, anywhere, I feel like people constantly are like, where are you from? Right. Because I feel like they're constantly trying to pick out and tease out like, what's your background? Because you don't sound like you're from here, Mm. which to me, I don't necessarily believe that I have an accent. 
um, anymore, but um, apparently like there's something about like the way that I carry myself or the way that I speak that communicates to others that I'm not from here. Mm. Um, I, I, I mean, I agree with both of you. I don't think I've ever completely assimilated, you know, into this culture only because the people around me remind me constantly of like where I'm from you know like Mm -hmm. even though like I still speak my native language with my mom and my family um I have friends that also speak a different language and so like I get to interact with them on that basis I do think that I understand American culture a little better you know now than I did when I was growing up um so that makes it a little different so maybe that should be that maybe that should have been my question right it's like do you feel like you understand American culture better now than you did before Mm. um I don't know so I feel like American culture is mixed with a lot of things and it depends on like where you're from because I I mean growing up I moved to like multiple states I lived in New Jersey Mm -hmm. I grew up in New Jersey there was like a lot of white people and there was um African um people from Nigeria there um in the neighborhood I was in and Haitians and then when I went to Florida it was just Haitians and black Americans and then when I moved back Mm -hmm. to New York it was you know Haitians black Americans Nigerians Ghanaians at my high school so I think my experience is just it's just been mixed Mm -hmm. Um, so I mean I would say like with understanding um, because like I kind of agree with what Nabi says in the sense that it's like I think American culture is so complex that you could I think we could try it for like the rest of our lives to understand it and still not be there right because it's such a vast like landmass and I think that there's different cultures and different like understandings depending on where you are right because like the first place that I lived in when I came to the United States was Miami and um and Miami is very diverse like I would say that white people Caucasians are in the minority in Miami Florida and I remember that you know I used to think that Hispanics were Caucasian um really I was yes (laughs) yes right that's um so Because I think that, okay, so I grew up in Nigeria we, where everyone, like, it was Black, right? But it was just, like, a lot of different, like, um, shades of, of brown, right? Uh-huh. That's what it was. And so I think that, because I got here when I was in the fifth grade, so I was about 10, maybe. And I think that, you know, my understanding of what Oibo was, was just very limited, right? Because I don't know that I remember interacting with any, like, white person, when I was in Nigeria. And so when I came to Miami, um, to me, like Hispanics, like what they look like to me was just what I imagined Caucasian people would look like. And I still remember like, um, so you've met Melissa, Melissa, um, like my friend Melissa that I, I knew back when I was in Miami. And I remember like, I was so convinced that they were white. And then her mom said to me, actually, no, uh, Melissa is Puerto Rican and like Cuban, I think. 
And I was like, no, she's not. And her mom was like, yeah, she was like, they speak Spanish. And I was so confused. I was like, what you like, what do you mean she speaks Spanish? And like, and then like Melissa said things in Spanish and I was like, and I think like maybe I didn't fully believe, but then I believe. And then, so like for me to, so I thought that I'd experienced like Caucasian-ness in Miami, but then I moved to Utah and that was like real Caucasian-ness. Like, and I just remember like, I don't know, like, so I thought like when I moved from um, Miami to Provo, Utah, that like, I was going to have like the same, um, I don't know, like interactions, but then I got over there and I dealt with a lot of passive aggressiveness. Right. Mm -hmm. And I just remember thinking to myself, like, oh, I hadn't fully like experienced because in Miami, you know, like, um, it was all people of color, I guess. So like, there was just this understanding of like, um, you know, if someone doesn't like you, they don't interact with you. Like no one goes around trying to be like fake or whatnot, because, I think that ethnic people tend to be like more out, like with how they're feeling, you know, like there wasn't there, like, but in Utah, there just felt like there was a lot of like nuances, like a lot I didn't understand. Like, I remember being like very hurt when a friend of mine was um, like, well, someone I thought was my friend was upset with me about something and finding out like they were talking about me like in a group when I wasn't there because I don't think, you know, I'd never experienced that before, you know, when mm. I was in Miami, if people didn't like me, they just didn't interact with me. And yeah. it was very well known. I don't like you. Like, you know, and so <laughs> I think, mm-hmm. so like, to me, I feel like it's, even if like, I tried to like, if, even if anyone tried to understand fully, like what it like uh, American culture, I think like you'd be confused. Cause I also came to Jacksonville too. And that's like, Jacksonville is, um, they call it um, Southern Georgia instead of like Northern Florida because it's the South. And so that was like a different experience in its own self. Like we're here, it's like low key, but also high key segregated. And so it's, girl, listen, I just, I'm like, I don't understand. I don't get it. (laughs) I feel like we're all still probably trying to like navigate what American culture is because we've we've all lived so many places, right? Because when I came to the United States, um, the first place I lived was in Kent, Ohio, a small town in Ohio. I think the biggest town next to us was Akron, Ohio. Um, And I went to a super phenomenal middle school, shout out to Stanton Middle. And I also went to an awesome high school, Roosevelt High. And after my freshman year I actually moved to Louisiana and talk about culture shock for a completely different reason because I experienced culture shock in Kent because I was foreign right it was something new but after living in the United States for a while I figured everywhere was the same as Kent so moving from a predominantly Caucasian base to uh, not so Caucasian based in the United States was kind of a mind trip, right? Because I felt like, oh my gosh, I'm used to this one way of living that I thought was basically what America represented is that everywhere was going to be predominantly Caucasian to moving to an area where I actually felt like a minority even though I was part of the majority right Mm, mm -hmm. 
And Louisiana also has this problem, and it is a problem. I know they don't like to talk about it, but the high schools there are very segregated. Like, Mm. they still have issues with segregation. So Lafayette, where I went to high school, has, I think, five Mm -hmm. different public schools. And minorities, if you're a minority, you actually get to select which school you get to go to. And the... Um, the city will bus you to said school. Now, even with that, the north side was predominantly the black school, where the south side, where I went to school, was predominantly white. Now, I went to that school because I had like early morning seminary Bible study. And so it was easier for me to go to that school because the church was right across the street from that school. But I felt more comfortable there than I know I would have felt going to the north side because I had never experienced a situation where in America the black people were more than the white people and so Mm -hmm. that confused me right Mm -hmm. so it wasn't until I got to college and like got to experience different places moved to Texas all that stuff that I realized that America in itself is not a monolith, right? There's like, Mm -hmm. there's representation in different forms. It's just, if you haven't seen that representation and nobody's ever showed you that, then confusion happens and you keep getting uh, like shocks to your system because (laughs) you've never experienced that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Anyway, so... My other question is, and I'm really curious to find out y'all's answer to this. Do you think after all the experiences that you've had, um, obviously from experiencing a different culture to now here, do you think being woke means different, something different to you from your previous culture than it does from like the person that you are now? If you had to like look back in, t- in time do you think being woke would have meant something different to your younger self than it means to your older self now hmm. um I I mean well first of all like yes because woke that like even the phrase like the word woke wasn't used in that same context like up until mm. like you know we'd say like what the last like 10 years maybe so I think like just the fact that the word it just newly came into well like the meaning of the word just newly came into existence um definitely shows that but you know I think that definitely my younger self was definitely not um woke because I think that when I first got here really I kind of surprised you and I thought you would have been woke you know since you were born um well Mm -hmm. so I was always woke as a feminist but I wasn't woke when it came to racial things Mm, I would say um so because I mean hello um (laughs) sexism patriarchy is pervasive everywhere and that's just something that kind of goes one in one with you know identity I think like no matter no matter where whether you're here or you're in Nigeria and things like that. But I think when it comes to more racial things, I would mm-hmm. say that because I think that when I first got here, it was so important to me to um, hide all of those things that made me different. Because um, 
anyone who's gone to elementary and middle school know that it's a different form of torture. Oh, true. And being different, being different is not cool when you're in middle school and when you're in elementary school. Uh-huh. Because, you know, like there's just this importance that's placed on being just like everyone else. And so when I first got here, I definitely like struggled with my identity because um, for those of the people who exist in um, um, in America who don't know this, English is actually the national language in Nigeria. Surprise, what? surprise. Surprise, surprise. I know, mind blown. This is a yes. shocker. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, because I feel like Americans tend saying... to have very limited worldviews. Are you whatever. saying that Nigeria was colonized by the English people? Is this what I'm hearing? Yes, surprise, su- surprise. Like, Are you I know. saying colonization happened in Africa? <laughs> it happened everywhere. So what? surprise, surprise. Oh my gosh. No. But, um, but when yeah. I first got here, I remember that I would say things to people and they'd be like, I don't understand you speak English. Ooh. And I'm looking <laughs> I'm like, I speak the Queen's English. What you mean? You don't understand what I'm saying. And um, and so I think, you know, um, back then it was, I remember trying, I well, not trying so hard, but I was also like um, slower to lose my accent because I think that everyone who knows me knows I can be quite anal. So it was a slow but very intentional process and, losing my accent you intentionally wanted to lose your accent and worked on that um well I mean like I'm not saying it like consciously like I sat in front of the tv every single day and was like oh this is how Americans say these words but it was something you wanted definitely you 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 didn't want yeah it was something that I yeah, it's something that I definitely wanted, like, at, like as a younger version of me, because I got made fun of so terribly, you know, like, and um, for me, my experience as far as being woke was like a process, because um, I grew up in a Haitian household, and my mom's definitely, like, she was an immigrant here from Haiti at the age of, I want to say, like, 27 or so is when she came here and so all like her her upbringing was like centrally focused on Haitian culture so inside the home that's literally all I had there wasn't really any outside you know things that I noticed to make me aware of like the cultural aspects aside aside of me going to class and stuff like that I think my awakening (laughs) was when I went to college for sure because I think before then I was in a bubble it was my family it was you know go to school make sure you do well in school and so those are the things like I focused on um I didn't really think about race relations outside of like black history month um I wasn't really part of those conversations it was church it was home it was school and I had specific people that I was friends with Um, so becoming, it was like a becoming when I went off to college because I was getting exposed to these different, um, stories, different, um, aspects to American society by the different people that I met while I was in college. So, um, when you first, it's kind of like you wait, like, I, I feel like 
no one is ever really born woke because when you come into this world, there has to be some kind of experience that wakes you up. Mm-hmm. I think we're all, we, I think we all come here asleep. We don't have any knowledge of prejudice and all those different things until an event happens or some type, some education, a level of education or something someone told you. And that's kind of how you get introduced to it. And even when someone tells you, you may not even fully digest it. You may not even fully um, understand to what capacity, you know, um, slavery, white supremacy, how deeply ingrained it is in our country. And that didn't happen for me until I went to college. And it was like waking up a sleeping lion. <laughs> so the lion is sleeping and when it wakes up, it's really upset, you know, because mm-hmm. it's like, what the heck, you know? And so I was really angry. I was really frustrated. I was like, let me, it's time to, you know, get to work and like let me argue with this person and that person this person and that person so the woke me in college versus the woke me now is like look I gotta I got to figure out how to affect real positive change trying to figure that out um but also have the energy when to say when to pull out and say I can't put my energy to this I'll put my energy to that and what way <coughs> can I help and that's how I've changed as a quote unquote woke person. Woke to me is different. I think when you when it first happens for for you, it's you have a lot of energy, but it's just so draining. And then you gotta learn later on where to like <laughs> pick your battles. Basically, it's kind of like a tag team amongst all of us, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that's my thoughts on that. So I want to kind of switch gears here. Um, because Well, so wait, can I say something real quick? Yeah, though? for sure. So um, like kind of um, addressing what Navarlene says, and I can't remember what it is, but I remember when I was in grad school, I actually read, because um, I had to do a presentation for something and there's actually um, stages and levels to like wokeness. Um, there was like a like a research like who kind of coined and um, actually put those stages and so like how Navarlene put it where she said like you know you wake up you're angry you have all these energy and then like as as time progresses and that wokeness like you know you start learning to pick your battles that's actually like a real thing mm. mm-hmm. um, so I want to kind of switch gears here um, because as you ladies were talking I thought about some things, some experiences that I've had, and I'm wondering if y'all have had similar experiences. In fact, I'm sure you have. What are some of, like, the dumbest questions people have asked you about, like, Haiti or Nigeria or about Africa in general? Like, what are some of the funny things that people have asked you? Do I speak Nigerian? (laughs) (laughs) the language thing it, it happens often because i've been asked if i speak african and i'm like not what a lang- is that not a language my friend it's not a language mm-hmm. <laughs> mm, yeah I'm trying are to people think. clicking at you to start off with oh like, yeah that happened in, in like elementary like... school kids are so dang cruel man clicking. when they do the clicking and they say like oh like oh do you eat cat what? They'll ask you. Yeah, that's a thing yeah. in South Florida. A yeah, lot of people if you like, eat, go with that. Yeah, if you eat cat or, you know, things like that. That was a really dumb question. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, yeah, I've also been asked if I swung on a vine to go to school or oh. if I... 
if I rode lions and which I'm like the first time I ever saw a lion was at a zoo in the United States oh man so so I don't I'm not quite sure I understand the question did I ever tell y'all that someone asked me like just randomly I think it was during high school I'm no, it was in college, actually. It was while I was in Utah. Really? <laughs> they were like, oh, so, like, what's your story? And I basically told them the story of the Lion King. And they were like, oh, my gosh. That's <laughs> so sad. That's so sad. <laughs> oh, my god. They were like, that's so sad. I, I can't believe, like, your uncle would do that. And I was like, Heifer, that's the Lion King. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> that's, that has nothing to do. I'm like, do you not? Did you not grow up watching Disney? That was literally the Lion King, word for word. <laughs> yeah. Anywho. That's so terrible. So, what are some of the things that we can do to educate people, y'all? Because this, like, when people um. ask those weird questions, my first thought is to say something sarcastic or tell the story of the Lion King <laughs> or just like ignore people but I find that the older I get I'm like these are educational opportunities so I should use them well, so I mean for me the first thing I would say is I think educating is um is a choice so I think that if someone catches you and you feel like educating them, you can do that. Mm-hmm. But if you don't feel like educating anyone on that day, guess what? You're not getting educated today. You're going to continue to be ignorant as far as I'm concerned. Oh. Because I feel like when um, when I lived in BYU, I like when, not in BYU, in Provo, I had all this energy. And, you know, but the thing is that it gets exhausting, right? Because I feel like it's like every single corner you turn, there's someone who you could definitely like help to learn something. Um, But then I'm like, it's for me, I'm intentional about if you're open to hearing what I'm saying. I don't believe in wasting energy in people who just want to be loud and ignorant. That's not my job to educate you. You could hit up Google and ask her some questions. But if I don't believe that you are... um, But if I do believe that you are open, then I'll sit there and I'll have a conversation with you as to what, like, what needs to be known, you know, based on my experiences, I guess, is what I would say. Mm. Yeah, I I would say pretty much the same thing. Honestly, I'm at a point in time right now where it's like, I really don't (laughs) have the time, like, the energy um, to want to educate because I think that... I, ha- I have to be very selective and I need to like, is this person even going to be responsible? Cause I'm not going to get into argument with you about it. Not going to do it. And mm-hmm. to the point where we're like insulting each other and I, you're insulting me. I'm not doing that. So if, if I do have an educational opportunity, uh, opportunity, I will take it. If my energy is there, like um, just recently last week, my coworker, <laughs> she's actually a really good hearted woman. She's, she has to be like in her fifties. And she came to me. I have a coworker who's from Sudan, and and she knows that I'm married to a Ghanaian man. And she's like, "Is it?" And and obviously, she doesn't also understand that some of the cultural practices in Sudan versus Ghana like are different. They're different. But she, and and I'm a Haitian woman. I'm only married to Ghanaian men. And she's coming to me. She's she's like, you know, David came to me last night, and you know. 
I noticed that he does this a lot. Is that like a is that like a thing that um oh you know people from Africa? And I looked at her like oh my, in my head. I said to him, "Oh my gosh, oh poor." And you know what? I I mean, I wasn't angry at her because I like I know her. She's she's a good-hearted woman, but she really didn't know. And you know, she did approach me and says like, "I really want to know." Like trying to understand. It was a question. I was like, "Hmm." So I did answer it to her like well there are two different places um and no that i think that's just like a david thing not a a african man thing you know what i mean so yeah yeah so like i had to um explain that to her but yeah like she'll ask me sometimes and if i have energy i will but it all depends on the person if this person is just trying to bait me into going back and forth with them like i'm just not gonna do it so dear lord well i don't know if yeah i my my first reaction is always to be sarcastic but that's just my personality (laughs) (laughs) so i don't know if i've ever like taken the opportunity to educate someone and, and maybe i should and that is like part of the reason why i think like us knowing our own traditions is so important and Mm -hmm. so what do y'all think you will like pass on to your family or like your your kids um I think for me I think I like I've talked to um Sam about this like how are we going to incorporate the Haitian culture and um Ghanaian culture to our kids because I don't want them to lose that and for me like some of the things that I like talked about and saying that I wanted to carry on is like celebrating things that me and my family celebrated when we um growing up like for example um January 1st is Haitian Independence Day right and so Mm -hmm. we uh, we make a soup jumu and it's like there's like a whole historical context behind making that soup you know it was something that slave masters would drink it was a delicacy that only you know slaves didn't have access to so when they gained their independence it was like this is what we're drinking now we're gonna eat good you know and so I would like to just instill those type of traditions in my kids to understand where it comes from and why we do it every year and so they can have pride in that you know Mm. I like that a lot. And girl, you know, if you feel like ever making some of that soup and, you know, (laughs) letting a sister, you know. I will send you. (laughs) Participate. (laughs) You know, just just saying, you know. Girl, yes. For future reference. food is a major aspect, too. Because, like, my mom growing up, I think, I don't know if it's like a Haitian thing. There's this thing called maimule. I don't know if you guys have. I don't know. It's kind of, let me try to see what it reminds me of. It's like it's almost like gari, almost, but it's like bigger grains. It's almost like grits, but like bigger grains. And they would make like when it rains is when she would make um, maimule and fish. That was a tradition in our family. So, yeah, mm-hmm. so good. <laughs> I'm about that. I'm about that life. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, all I'm saying is, if you ever feel so inclined, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I'll shoot you some over please, there. 
I'll send you some. Yes, box it up for you. Please send some my way. Yes, <laughs> please. If there's a Haitian restaurant by you, Sophia, they also make it. Yeah, too. it is Texas. There is Texas, but there's, I mean, I've had soup jumel. Okay, but listen. It's not the same. Stop, <laughs> stop your life, okay? Because y'all know there's a difference between someone's abuela, someone's grandma, someone's, you know, nana somewhere making you some good food versus going to a restaurant somewhere where I I don't know I don't agree about that because I feel like with Haitian um food it's very mom and pop like you hardly ever see like Haitian chains as much and so I feel like you do have someone's abuela or someone like making Mm. the food back there so I still think I don't know I've been to listen let me tell you something we went to a Jamaican restaurant here in Dallas. I won't say where it is because I don't want anybody coming from my edges. Um, but it was not good. And it was like supposed to be too, like it was like a dad and his daughter, I want to say, that were supposed to be doing the cooking. And it was not good because it wasn't someone's grandma who has like 60 years of cooking experience and can like you know, make sure the thing is right. Quick, so, quick, quick story. So, um, sometimes we have food trucks come out. Obviously, you live in Utah, right? And so, sometimes uh-huh. we have food trucks that come in. And I was so excited because we had a guy, a black Jamaican guy who comes on on his food truck. And I'm like, do you have Jamaican patties, girl? I bought, like, two or, like, actually four because I was craving them. And to say, girl. <laughs> Yeah, maybe location does Bar-bash. matter. Location does matter. <laughs> yeah, so I feel like here in Florida, listen. I get like pretty authentic stuff having to do with the place. Yeah, because it's Florida, where the people actually be living. That's true. Or come from where they say they're cooking the food. That's from. true. Where, I mean, I don't know if there's a little Haiti in Dallas. I'm sure there's not. Like, you know, like if I was looking for some good Tex-Mex or some good like Mexican food, I'm sure I could find that. No problem. Someone's abuela probably is out there making some El Pastor Mm -hmm. for someone to indulge in. But I don't know about getting no uh, patties. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, Florida does not have good Mexican food either, but that's because I feel like. Anyways, we digress. We were talking about <laughs> we were talking about traditions that we're passing on to our families, and food is obviously one of them. But uh, Josephine, go ahead. Um, so food, yes, definitely, which is why I've been very intentional about learning how to make Nigerian dishes. Um, but for me, I think something that I've always thought since I was younger is um, I want all my kids to have Nigerian middle names, specifically for my mom's tribe. Um, so they're going to have Calvary middle names. And um, Oh, and why is that? Um, well, so, which I mean, like, I can go into this whole like deep thing because like it gives me anxiety, the idea of like changing my name. But um, for like my mom... My mom, we, all her kids, we all have um, English first names. Well, I guess Josephine maybe is not necessarily English, but we have like more, I guess, I don't know, would it be like European first names? Yeah. And our middle names 
um, are like, well, me and my older brother, our middle names are Yoruba. And then we have our dad's last name, um, of course. And then my younger brother, JR, has, he has my mom's tribe's um, middle name. And, you know, mm-hmm. like, and, and his first name, he's a junior. Hello. So, um, but I just think, um, cause I know like people are like, what's in a name, but I think like names have meaning. Right. And, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. like my name, my middle name means <laughs> born abroad imported. <laughs> and, um, mm. like, and there are a lot of Nigerians <laughs> that remind you every day that you are important. Yes, yes. But <laughs> but I think that when it comes to like preserving the culture, especially because, you know, I'm a woman, my kids are not going to have my last name, which means that if like, if anything, my culture could literally like stop at me. Right. Mm. Um, and like my kids are growing up in American, um, like American culture, but also, you know, um, uh, they're going to be American and well, like half American. And so I think like it's that much more important to me to preserve my culture by forcing them to take on this name that they will have for the remainder of their lives because ain't nobody trying to pay to change their names. So I think that, but also, you know, um, I really want to be intentional about them, like interacting with other Nigerians and, you know, other cultures in general. So. All right. Okay. Um, I agree with all that has been said with the food and the, the naming, especially when I think when I first came to the United States, because nobody could say my middle name, I started using Sophia. Um, and Sophia is on my birth certificate. Don't y'all get this wrong. That's something else people be asking about. Is Sophia really your name? Yes, it's my name. Mm-hmm. It's on my birth certificate. It's my grandma's name. But uh, no one had ever called me that, right? In Ghana, like I was always in your name or Ama, you know. Um, but when I came here and people couldn't say that, I was like, all right, well, I guess we better give them something they can say. So I always had this thought and idea that like, instead of having p- people butcher my children's name, I would give them a European name. Mm-hmm. But after getting married and um, just seeing the passion with which my husband has for not giving his children um, European names, mm-hmm. I actually appreciate it. And not only that, because my husband and I um, share similarities from the tribe that we're from, I think it we would be doing our children a disservice by not continuing the tradition of giving them strong names from our tribe. You know what I mean? And I want both, because my parents are from two different tribes, I want both of that represented in my children's name. And because my husband and I, um, my dad is from the same tribe as he is. And so I get to do that. And that excites me, the idea of, being able to bless them with that um the same thing that I have right because I have representation from both my parents tribes so I want my children to also have that representation and I think also teaching them about our culture because when I was getting married yet again I didn't think it would be important to me to have the traditional aspect of a Ghanaian wedding 
but I'm so grateful that I had the opportunity to do that and just didn't like, you know, go get married in the temple and call that my marriage. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really glad that I got to like go through the whole thing of doing like an engagement ceremony with the dowry and all that stuff. Um, not that the dowry was important, but it's the idea of preserving my culture. So I'm definitely going to be, you know, teaching my children that. And also I know I'm rambling, but stay with me here. Mm. Um, (laughs) I want my children to be able to be fluent Ooh, in there it is. Go ahead. their language, you know. Um, I don't speak my husband's language, which is unfortunate because I grew up with my mom's side of the family. So I never got to speak my dad's language. Right. And so my husband and I, we can communicate in other languages, but we can't communicate in that common tongue. So I'm excited for the opportunity to actually see him teach our children so that I can then also start learning and be able to communicate in that language so we can have a shared language, language in the house. Um, um, so, yeah. Sophie, I have a question. So does <coughs> Yedem know your, he knows your language. You just don't know his. Child, listen, if you ask him, he will say yes. But he doesn't. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I'm going to tell you, because that's the thing I actually wanted to mention, too, was because I speak Haitian Creole, like, barely but i speak and i understand it right um Mm -hmm. and then sam he speaks a lot of other languages (laughs) so i'm just trying to like when you get figure that whole thing out go ahead and let me know how you you know navigate teaching your kids (laughs) two different languages okay we go we're gonna be creating a whole roadmap on that like these children are gonna come out they're going to be quadrilingual okay Because it is so like, yeah. <laughs> Jesus, take the will with that one. Mm. Yes. So, anyways, those are kind of the traditions that I'm looking forward to. Um, y'all, this was the end of episode twelve. How crazy is that? We've done twelve episodes. Woo! Listen, snaps for us because you know some podcasts will be making it past episode two, so. Uh, yes listen we've come applause applause um so we have an announcement to make but we will make it after our mindful minutes so let's get our mindful minute for the week yes so my um mindful minute for this week is actually because we just had valentine's day um pass and um you know valentine's day oh you guys I didn't even ask y'all. How was y'all's Valentine's? Mine was spectacular. It was really good. It was a long, long day. Let's just say that. Oh, okay. <laughs> that um, was a good way. In a good way. But I woke up next morning. I was tired. I, I needed to okay. recuperate and get some energy back. You know what I mean? Oh, okay. Yeah. It was a good day. It was good. No, very good. <laughs> Mine was also excellent. Anyway, sorry, didn't mean to interrupt. No, that's okay. I just wanted to find out that's okay. how y'all's Valentine's went. That's okay. It's all in the, you know, all in the same thing. But um, I was just thinking about how, you know, I think like Valentine's Day obviously is like a day of love. And most of what's celebrated is romantic love. Um, but then to like ground it a little bit more, I was thinking um, how like self-love is just, I think the most important love that there is, like, 
all of the other mm-hmm. loves are good and all, but I think that that self-love is what allows you to have that abundance of love to give to others. Um, mm-hmm. So there's a quote by Buddha that's actually going to be, um, it says, you can search throughout the entire universe for someone who is more deserving of your love and affection than you are yourself. And that person is not to be found anywhere. You yourself, as much as anybody in the entire universe, deserve your love and affection. And this is um, a quote by Buddha. <clears throat> and I just think, um, I think sometimes um, people in general, like, I think it's just in human nature to constantly be like, in a hurry to get into a relationship. And when Valentine's Day comes around, I know that a lot of people get depressed. And um, and I remember when I was in college, I hated Valentine's Day. Like I would always try to be off campus um, for Valentine's Day. Um, <laughs> because, you know, like I wasn't trying to see everyone getting their little flowers and their little balloons um, and whatnot kind of situation. But um, like I... Um, but I just think like love is beautiful, but I think um, you can't love truly if you don't love yourself. And so I think that Valentine's Day just needs to be about like self-love. I mean, all the other loves, but like, so like, you know, single people can kind of participate and have that, you know, everything. So, you know, self-love is the best love. Oh. All right, all right. Oh, that's really cute, Josephine. Mm-hmm. I like that. Soft love is the best. Love. Sure is. You got to. And you can, you can always practice that, right? Like whether you're in a relationship or yeah. not, like you still need to learn to love and appreciate yourself. So I like that. I mm-hmm. like that. Well, you guys, <coughs> it has, the time has come for us to make our announcement. So. Thank you guys for listening to all 12 episodes of Shading the Culture. Um, this is actually going to be the end of ep- uh, season one for us. So we're going to take a little break. Uh, we're going to revamp some things. What We've listened to your feedback and we want to really incorporate everything that we're hearing from you guys um, to making this podcast better and amazing. Season two is going to be even more amazing. We will be coming back. April 21st with episode one of season two. Um, In the meantime, make sure to tell your friends, tell your mom, tell your brother, tell everyone to listen to all 12 episodes of season one. It's been amazing and we cannot wait to do season two and get back Mm -hmm. to throwing shade and hopefully also, you know, teaching some things here and there <laughs> yes you guys can learn from yeah. us and i want some letters man come on start start sending us the tea man come on <laughs> yes yes um yeah. we've loved hearing from you and we really do want to hear more from you so yeah please remember that you can reach us on social media on facebook and instagram at shading the culture and then you can also send us emails at shadingtheculture at gmail.com that's shading da culture at gmail.com you guys season one's over yes thank you so much yes nice. okay thank you so much we'll catch you at season two yeah bye peace out bye